Hello, Passion Pod 70. I know. So we should be like whooping and cheering in a big fat way, I feel. 70 of these wonderful creations. What a joy. It's absolutely freaking awesome to have your ears. Thank you so much a million times. Uh, so Passion Pod 70, if you're hungry, beware. Uh, especially if you've got a sweet tooth. It's dangerous territory. Doisy and Dam, that's who I'm chatting to this week. Uh, it's the name of Rich and Ed's delicious superfoody chocolate bars. So yeah, buzzy word, superfoods, we chat a bit more about that. It's like the word that everyone's bandying around. But basically like really good stuff for you all mushed up with a load of delicious chocolate. So that's quite a winner, right? Uh, Ed and Rich, no foodie background at all from these guys. Totally different marketing and finance. So uh, very, very different way into starting this company. But it's going really well and fascinating, actually, to see how you can make things feel really local in London. I think often London has this reputation of being this, like, monolith um, that's hard to crack, which I think sometimes it absolutely can be. But uh, amazing to hear these guys' story about how their product starting local in London has made made a real real difference so here we go you're listening to passion pod number 70 with doisy and dam awesome wicked let's go shall we doisy and dam we're going to introduce you guys first because there's two voices so i think people need to just realize there's not someone here with two heads so well i'm ed um this is richard well hi that's richard uh, <laughs> and and we make uh, super delicious chocolate. We take chocolate and add superfoods to make a natural balance between health and indulgence. We are planning to make all sorts of new products in the future, but for the moment we're trying to flood London and the UK with our super delicious chocolate. That is no bad thing. Flood (laughs) away, flood (laughs) away. Do you both sort of share the same roles or are you heading up different stuff out of interest? Uh, I head up the sales and marketing and design and stuff like that. And Richard heads up finance, operations, logistics. It's basically based on our previous experience. I worked in marketing, Richard worked in finance, and so we used those skills to our advantage. Okay, amazing. So that's good for people. It's just good to have a bit of a bearing in mind in the back of their heads. Uh, so I've got a delicious-looking chocolate bar in front of me, which I am actually about to taste, although we don't have too much sound effect. But it's so cool, your packaging. It's it's quite different. Talk to me a bit about it. It's quite contemporary for a chocolate bar. It is, and it doesn't look like a stereotypical chocolate bar. Um, yeah, it's nice and jazzy. Yeah, there's lots of uh, geometric patterns and all sorts of stuff. Um, we did the first iteration ourselves when we came up with the design concept and since then we've been helped um, by Beth from Shut Up Studio who's done these incredible geometric designs which we're entering into awards for her hopefully in the future to win some. Um, It's a very cool range and she's basically taken um, themes from the ingredients to inform what is should be an eye-catching design on the shelves. Um, Tell me in a nutshell if you didn't have this beautiful prop with you when you introduce yourselves to people, what do you introduce yourself, or what do you introduce Doisy and Dam as? Uh, the superfood chocolate company. Boom. We basically use superfoods um, in a way that makes them both indulgent and delicious. So taking really healthy products and making them a little bit better for you by putting them in a really high quality organic chocolate. We are um, always experimenting with different categories. So chocolate is one of the areas that we're, we've been working in and lots of other interesting stuff to come. Yeah, this is like, I can tell because the, the flavour combinations you have. What have I got here? Coconut and, what even is lacuma? Lacuma is a Peruvian fruit that's a little bit like an avocado. Um, it's a natural sweetener and it's a really nice way to lighten the chocolate while, whilst also giving you loads of goodies that you need. Yeah, so this has like all good stuff in it. Coconut, vanilla, 
Yum. I'm actually going to just open this on here and everyone's going to get super, super hungry. Um, I just spotted one on your website as well, Himalayan sea salt. Yeah. Oh, that sounds amazing. Oh, yeah. Best really good. Sea salt. Locked in the Himalayas for, I don't know how many years, many, many years. Uh, only just released for you guys. Only just released for Dorothy Dan. No, it's basically the purest sea salt that you can get and it's got loads of beneficial properties, which is why we combine it with date to make a healthier version of salted caramel. God, it's like, do you, did you, so, right, let's go back. This is delicious, by the way. But a stupid idea, really, with a microphone. Um, <laughs> I thought you were going to say this. Stupid idea, I'm out. Um, so take me back. I mean, all these flavour combination stuff, it's fascinating. How on earth do you even start something like this? So you've got very different backgrounds. Give us a bit of an idea of your backgrounds before setting this up. Well, we've been friends for 20 years. We always wanted to set something up together. We wanted to set up a business. And we both kind of came across this idea where we wanted to make indulgent, delicious products better for you without losing any of the taste benefits that you get. So we spent a long time basically melting down chocolate in the kitchen and throwing random powders and berries and stuff in there. And seeing but are what you cooks? You are you... No, not at, all. not at all. So eventually once everyone around us was sick of us shoving <laughs> disgusting things. We went and found a chocolatier and we found this amazing chocolatier called Vicky and she still is our chocolatier. She makes everything for us and she kind of took all of our ideas and turned them into actual delicious bars of chocolate. Um, but yeah, I mean, we started literally just by chucking random powders into a bowl, mixing it with melted down green and blacks. Um, amazing. And then, and then, yeah, Proper DIY. Yeah, it really was. It's the best way to do it, I think, because you learn all about what works with what, and we developed what becomes our formula later on, which is to create ingredients with taste, texture, and superfoods in them, so that each part of the bar has a, a really nice taste, a really nice texture, and also the superfood benefits of it. Which actually, interesting you mentioned that, because there's loads in that one. It is so, it's like drinking a hot chocolate, but like a coconutty one. Oh, yeah. It's really good. That's desiccated coconut, so yeah. that's just dry, dried coconut. But it's nice to have that texture in it. So often, you know, with flavoured chocolates, don't you? You just don't, you get the flavour, but you don't get any of the texture. Which so. is a bad sign. If you've got flavour and no texture, that means that you're not eating real food. Um, <laughs> most of what most of us eat most of the time. <laughs> and and that is, that's absolutely part of what we're trying to do, which is to sort of raise food's game in general. Um, we only know about the UK, but there's a lot of products that are lacking that don't include good food, clean food, stuff like that. We're trying to raise the chocolate category by having better quality chocolate and more interesting ingredients. I think there's a lot of uh, chocolate as well, or, or food products in general out there that are just packed full of unnecessary ingredients. So we've got um, superfoods in there, which are, we add in because they're interesting textures, they're interesting flavours, and they happen to be better for you. But we also don't use any preservatives or emulsifiers or anything that's crap, really. Everything that goes in there is really carefully sourced by us, so we know exactly what it is. But we don't see the point of putting anything crap in there, really. Yeah, it's very a thing of the moment, though, as well, I have to say, like, this superfood word, isn't it? It's like the word that's being bandied around everywhere. In your guys' sort of um, opinion, a superfood is... Obviously, we all know it's something that's good for you, but is it like, is there lists of what the superfood is, or are these things that you're kind of discovering as you're, you know, making them? I think superfood is a marketing term in general, and what we want to do is focus on putting foods with inarguably beneficial properties to them in our bars. So that means something that can be tested to show that it's high in fibre content, high in protein content, and so on. Superfoods just kind of is a collective term for what we want to do, but... What we're really focusing on is high quality ingredients with good nutritional profiles. Yeah, because I think that's nice. If, you know, if I was listening to this, I want to sort of have a breakdown. It's like all this chat of superfood, but actually behind it, the essence of it, 
breaking down that jargon, I guess. You know, it's something we're familiar with, but it's kind of good to get a bit of an idea about what's behind it. So, for example, we've got a bar with spirulina in it, which is algae and tastes gross. Really sorry to anyone who likes spirulina out there, but it does taste gross. But it's 66% protein by gram, so it's really high in protein and a really useful thing to eat in your daily diet. We incorporate it in ways which means that it's not gross, which makes it a little bit more delicious. Goji berries have 50 times the vitamin C of an orange gram per gram. So all these things have indisputable nutritional profiles. And wrapped in chocolate. Like, are you joking? This is like the dream combo. (laughs) Uh, So just take me through your individual backgrounds then. Obviously, you were doing your own bits and pieces. But what what were you doing just before you set this up? And like, what was the moment at which you guys suddenly thought, right, this is the time? You've talked about this potential business idea for, for most of your friendship. But like, what was the... What was the break point? So I was working in finance in the city in London. Ed was working in New York in marketing. And we had literally spent like an hour or two on the phone every day running through different ideas. It just so happened that we both came to points in our career where we either had to take the next job and stick to it for two, three years, or or we'd quit and we'd uh, just take the plunge. And it was just far too easy to continue saying, well, maybe not this idea or maybe not that idea. So eventually we actually just said, We've got an idea that we think has some legs, so let's do it. Yeah, I don't know. I don't really know why. I don't know what made us do it, but it makes me excited. Just, thinking uh, of that moment, yeah, it's really like a really exciting point. It was liberating. It was quite. It was terrifying. Terrifying, <laughs> but um, yeah, it's quite liberating knowing that you've actually just by handing in your notice, you've done it to a certain extent, and then obviously all the really scary, terrifying, and difficult stuff comes after, but just that feeling of knowing that you've actually you've quit and you've, you're going to do it is, is exciting. You've, got, you've really got no option but yeah, to do it now. You've got, yeah. There's no choice. Yeah, you've kind of screwed yourself, you quit. So. Um, so give us a mini timeline, so from that point, so you decided to make a commitment to doing this and then you're, you're talking about finding this chocolatier, but just give us a mini sort of, yeah, mini sort of rundown of events. So what we wanted to do was we wanted to get a product from conception to a shelf um, as soon as possible. We knew what we wanted to, the category that we wanted to work in, and we knew that we wanted to raise the game of food, and superfoods were one way that we could do that. So once we started working on it, we discovered we were making really nice chocolate. So we ran with that as quickly as we could, and from knowing that we were going to develop superfood chocolate to it being on the shelf was around three months. Whoa! It being as quick as we possibly could have done it. That is super quick, isn't it? And the reason being, because we thought that by getting it on the shelves and personally doing as many samplings as we possibly could in every shop that we stocked in, we would get direct feedback from the customer, and we could then iterate the product based on the feedback from the customer so that we weren't just blindly developing products, we were developing products according to what the customers wanted to buy. So it's almost market research, but like in the market rather than the pre-bit. A lot lot of people will raise 150 grand against an idea and then go out and produce the idea and sell it. And people might not want to buy it. You need to develop something that people want to buy. Um, Develop something for customers rather than for yourself is what I think is the best way to approach it. And we, we did. And we got all sorts of stuff wrong, but we started tweaking the, um, the flavors. We saw there was an appetite, no pun intended, for smaller bars. Um, so we developed a 40 gram bar. That's our smaller size. We've got like a, a larger sort of standard cupboard size bar as yeah, well. Yeah, these are great, aren't they? Because like counters and stuff like Grab that. That's perfect, yeah. yeah. Exactly, and it suits a lot of the places we sell. So we worked through and developed the products as much as possible. When we first launched it, it was a completely illegal product in the sense that the packaging didn't include the required information or in the required way. 
Um, How are you selling it at that point? Where were you selling it? We literally, do you remember the Earth Natural Foods? We walked into this shop called Earth Natural Foods. They're one of the best stores we stopped in. Having never done this in our lives, we didn't even know what the f- how to sell something into somewhere. Both we walked, terrified. We walked in, the two of us, kind of like this. With your little chocolate bars. With our chocolate bars. And went to the manager and said, do you like the chocolate bar? And they said, can you sell direct or which wholesalers do you use? It was all jargon to us at this point. And so they said, yes, I think they took a punt on us or they wanted to leave us, the, us to leave the shop or something like that. I'm not sure what it was. But they took a punt, put us on the shelves, and then we went and did this sampling program for as long as we possibly could. And those stores that we initially got ourselves into are now probably per square foot some of our highest grossing stores because they supported us early on. So we've done as much as we can to support sales through them. But we initially got into those smaller stores all the while learning from those buyers and from the managers of the stores how to then grow the business into something that's larger scale. We knew that we had to get into a a wholesaler because we used to ride around on our bikes with panniers delivering chocolate to all of these places and the ride from like West London to Kew is not that fun. Um, So... Stoke Newington is the worst. I love it. You must know London yeah. really well now, Yeah, guys. we really know London well. And we were fit for the first six months of running a business. Whilst is, making chocolate. Yeah, exactly. this, is a great, this is a great winner. Yeah. <laughs> so um, we sort of were told about needing to go through wholesalers. We picked the appropriate one that we thought would be good and called them for three months straight until they picked up our calls and then went and sold into there and then from there we started to get uh, we started to learn a little bit more about the industry and we learned a little bit more about the larger accounts and we um, again I think they naively took a punt on us at Whole Foods and Planet Organic and places like that but this is literally just from you guys just giving it a bash right this is like from you guys going in there and hammering on doors I mean it's quite amazing that it's growing that quickly in that short space of time well by doing it this way and not trying to prepare everything beforehand and then launching it. We've learnt everything as we go, and we also had no money when we started. Yeah, I was going to ask you, it's the question I ask it all the time, but like how, when you started, you made it work financially? Because especially something like this takes time, doesn't it, for stuff to feed in? I mean... So we started with about £5,500 each, and doing things fast and in small runs was the way we kind of kept ourselves surviving, really. We didn't really make very much money or profit on the first runs that we did because we were only making... 1500 bars at a time total i remember at the time seeing them arrive and thinking there's no way we can ever ever sell that that's far too much chocolate for anyone in the world um, and then we kept the run small they're expensive but then we could change the product we could change the packaging every the flexibility run because, basically yeah so we were paying a lot of money for each foil sheet that we wrapped the bars in but we just increased it slowly um, rather than sort of ordering a hundred thousand cartons at a time we ordered a thousand so we were able to last for the first 18 months I think just under 18 months on that first uh, five and a half thousand pounds each and then we decided that we got the product to the right place and we were in the right stockist and actually now we needed to kind of accelerate it and we needed to really push from a marketing perspective so then we decided to get some investment and then we raised money from a private investor and we've used that to hire to get an office and to invest in larger product runs so we can afford to promote the product and support it out of interest, you know it was very much at the beginning that you were trying stuff. Did you have like a business plan per se that you saw the investment if it went well happening in 18 months? No. No? We were completely naive going into it. We'd been through plenty of ideas before where we thought we're going to raise a million quid before we even launch it. Um, 
and then we went completely the other way and thought actually we're going to do it all on our own from our own savings and it's just I mean I think that neither is a good idea really I think that we would have been possibly better off raising money a bit sooner but had we done that I also think that we wouldn't have learned as many lessons as we have because we've done everything ourselves um, but it shows it's doable that's what I love about this story is it's like the image of you going in no jokes with your chocolate bars to the <laughs> shop and being like we and must then have looked t- like such idiots but they said yes yeah. you know yeah. it's so exciting for me that's really that's a really inspiring thing to hear because it's like so many times you hear of people saying oh but you know this and you can't do that it's like well you've got to give it a try right and you know showing actually even more slightly sort of weird term but like old-fashioned methods you know going in face to face and actually saying here we go I don't know it's really it's really great to hear that that actually has some kind of traction still it does yeah I think in our experience, retail is really old-fashioned. And actually, our sales strategy since we started to work out what sales in a, in a product company actually look like is pretty old-fashioned in the sense that it's all local. Being local, I think, is key to sales. Hard and for growth then, though, I guess. It's except you grow your roots really well and you develop um, almost a following, people who want to continue coming back to buy your product because it's in their local area. Uh, the rest comes later. You can worry about taking over the world later, but... For the time being, just providing what you hope is a really good product to a really good selection of places across a city like London is something that's really, really fulfilling for us and, and something that we hope to continue to do. I think looking back as well on what you're saying, but obviously we felt that we went into this place, Earth Natural Foods, terrified and not really knowing at all what we're doing. But actually, I think a lot of that is just how we felt it went. But from the store's perspective... It must be quite gratifying seeing all these new companies, because it's certainly not us, it's plenty of people who go in and they are the actual producers, they're making it themselves. It's nice to see people who want to create these products and they they want to sell them into their store and I think that that has been really important for us as well, us being present and showing our faces and going speaking to people, because I guess no one can really sell our product like we can, because we've come up with it and we we love it. Except Um, except Nat. Nat's pretty good. Yeah, except for our team now, who are definitely better than us. You've got to get used to this adjustment, yeah. I guess. That's a big thing, isn't it? But I think it's really refreshing to hear that in a day where everyone's all about online and digital. And, like, there's a place for that, don't get me wrong. But it's so refreshing to hear that, actually, I'm definitely a big, big champion of that kind of stuff. Face-to-face stuff, you just can't beat it. Yeah. And it's great to hear that that kind of has some kind of movement with it. Hitting the streets, that's what, that's what our sales team, Nat and Rach, do this every day. They go out and just literally walk down streets until they see places which they think would fit what we're trying to do. And they go in there and they talk to them. And so we almost have a personal relationship with every single store we stop through, which is... Uh, I love it. You just can't really believe that it actually can happen. I know, it's yeah. generally, I mean that. It's, it's a lot easier than you think. But no one else can think that, because it's really hard and you shouldn't do it. But, <laughs> uh, Stay away from our plan. Yeah. But no, it, it is. I think the other thing is we've really learned that we have to market to two different sets of people. We have to market to the stores who sell it. As well as obviously marketing and speaking directly to the people who want to buy it from those stores. So obviously our social media is very important to us and our marketing strategy through that is quite clear. But I think that we're realising more and more every day just how effective it is to market to stores and actually have a proper relationship with them rather than just sitting in a catalogue of a wholesaler and expecting people just to pick it up off a list because it just doesn't happen. It brings your personality. I think that's the massive advantage about our small businesses is that you have that. You know, you've got to pull on that because big companies just just don't. Uh, Tell me, these are all great things, but there's obviously some hard stuff in there too. What have been the biggest 
biggest challenges do you reckon? We've had some, um, we've done some silly things. Um, like, come on, <laughs> spill the pines, we need to know. Oh, well, I, can, I can start with one. Okay. When we printed an entire run of packaging with the wrong flavour name on the front. Oh, that's that's a real good one. That's that a goodie. Was, that was good. You had to write that one off. That makes me sweaty um, palm just thinking about the moment you opened that up and saw that. That must have been it was, a magical moment. It, yeah, it was It was annoying. How we did started... it matter? With just, it's just literally one of those things. You're staring at it so much. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hang on. Actually, I think I blame I think I blame our family and friends more than I blame us. Because they were meant to check it. Because they were meant to check it. They were meant to check it. And A whole run. That's that's good. Okay. That's never run. So that led to us launching with three instead of four flavors. But um, what yeah, else? We, we tell everyone that we actually only ever wanted to launch with three. So. <laughs> it's like well, amazing what can be buried under yeah. that carpet, yeah. ever piling. <laughs> what about what about challenges? Tell me challenges so, that challenges, you've had. Yeah. The main challenge is production. Right. Um, it's Why? Sure that we can keep up because we have a nice kind of relatively artisanal setup going with our amazing chocolatier she makes everything by hand and is it literally just her making them it's uh well, she's got a small team around her it used um, to be her it used to just be her on her own but i mean we've gone from asking her to make us uh 1500 bars in the first run that probably lasted us three months to asking her to make tens and tens of thousands of bars every month um big shift so it's yeah. it's tough to manage and we because we care a lot about what goes in the bars we do all the sourcing of everything, so it's it, it's tough to manage, and, and it's tough to. We're obviously based in London. The production's in Norfolk, and we don't know if we're going to run out of goji berries, and it happens. And it's then like, we've got why aren't you sleeping? It's my goji berries. I <laughs> <Yeah>. tell you, <laughs> there stressing been, me there out. Have been sleepless nights over foil sheets and goji berries. I can tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> There's not many people um, that can say exactly. that. I don't think. Cage. Yeah, no <laughs> one's lost sleep over a goji berry except for me. Um, <laughs> there was a point when I walked into the office and saw Richard and Anna, who's on our team um, hand cutting 2,000 sheets of foil which were then to be used in some bars because we'd run out of foil and we couldn't get it in within six weeks it um, just warms my heart that though it's like this is the joy of it all guys yeah. <laughs> but that's the nature right that's 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 part of signing up to this kind of thing it's the sort of that's what you come up against what for you guys though if, um, you know I don't know has there been shifts in terms of you know you've gone from a very different style of life working in more sort of I will say grown up jobs but you know what I mean working in, yeah no I hate that we can't use that because then this is completely goes against I find myself saying that all the time and I'm like Emily this whole podcast is about telling people these are real jobs yeah. What you're doing is a real job and you're making a massive success. But yes, the jobs you were doing before, big change. Yeah, Yeah, it is a big change. Um, I think probably more so for Richard. I was in a a very relaxed environment, which was in retrospect a very entrepreneurial environment. I think a lot of the problem solving abilities that we have now, at least for me, were based on kind of growing up in that environment. Um, Richard was in finance, so a lot more structured environment with a lot more aggression and yeah. And I think of... I think that actually neither of us worked that typical of a job because I worked on a trading floor, so it was more structured. The hours were really long, but I think I learned to deal with pressure very well because I had incredibly intensive periods of high pressure, fast trading, and also in a completely unprofessional office environment with people shouting and screaming at each other and getting fired the whole time so I think that was quite good training I guess um, although yeah, I feel like if I'd stayed in there much longer I'd have just become inherently a bad person because most people there were this is great um, though this is this is entrepreneurial stuff makes you better it makes yeah. you a good person yeah I think so and I think that <laughs> I actually generally think it does I think it's yeah. a brilliant thing yeah and the pressure is definitely higher now than anything I ever had before but it's pressure that is on us for something that we're working for for us the benefit is that the pressure is 
all benefiting us. So everything that we do, we work, we're kind of building our own business and it's, it's not building someone else's business who's a boss or a middle manager or whatever it is, depending on the size of the organisation you work for. And it's just nice to know that, that yeah, if we have a kind of shitty few days, it doesn't matter because we're still, at the same time we're still working for ourselves and we're still doing what we want to do. It is so much easier to motivate yourself when there is a direct benefit to you for doing so. And I think that's something to consider for aspiring entrepreneurs is if you have ever felt a lack of motivation at work, you won't feel it when it's your own thing because you know that every good thing you do benefits you and every bad thing you do is a drawback to you. So you often only do good things. Um, Which we're quite keen to try and create that kind of ethos and environment for the people who work for us because we know it's not their own business, but we really want them to feel like, I mean, they're their owners as well and they can do what they want and they can really help us to shape the future of Doys and Down and the future of the chocolate bars that we make. Yeah, it's really interesting hearing, I meant to ask that earlier actually, this shift for you guys now being, you know, in charge of a team from it going from just you guys cycling around with your bikes. You know, how have you found that change? I mean, I, I'm sure it's really exciting, but that would throw up some challenges, I can imagine, because that passion comes from you guys, because it's yours, like you've just said. And so, yeah, I'm interested how that, that process has been for you. Um, I think we've been really lucky because the people that we've hired are complete self-starters. They don't need any extra motivation from us and they don't need much direction from us because they are very entrepreneurial in spirit, even if they didn't realise it beforehand. Um, not to give ourselves a massive amount of credit for hiring them, but it just, they had the skills and it's paid off massively. It's such an incredible team and I think and hope that everyone who works with us has kind of adopted it as their baby as well. So everyone has this vested interest in making sure it succeeds. And we... Do you think that's because they're part of it in an early stage or why do you think that is? Definitely and also because we're, I hope we don't like sort of strut around as big bosses. We, we... It's not what they tell me, darling. <laughs> <laughs> we, um, yeah, I think because we're very inclusive as a team and everyone has their own areas of responsibility which they completely own. Everyone feels responsible and everyone feels connected to you know, what we're doing, the overall goal. It was tough at first though because we were so used to working just with each other. We've known each other for years and years. And so when Anna, who was our first hire, came in, it was it must have been really difficult for her because obviously we have a way of talking to each other and dealing with each other and she was new and we didn't really know what we were doing in terms of managing her. But she was fantastic and she's really become integral to the team. And I think that, as you touched on, she's seen it grow in, in the year and a bit that she's worked for us. She's seen it grow enormously. And I think that, hopefully, is quite satisfying and she knows that she's been a huge part of that growth. Yeah, because um, everything's happened quickly, that kind of compounds it, I guess, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, right, tell me, what, what advice do you wish you'd been given when you started out? Um, I would say ask everybody you know as much advice as possible and only listen to the stuff that you have a gut feeling about or believe in. Um, but the more advice, the better, the more help, the better. And so many people out there are willing to help you because what you're doing is interesting and different and possibly beneficial. That's so good. So basically there's nothing to lose, just to ask people stuff. Definitely. You develop these networks which will pay off more than any sales call or anything like that. Do you want to add anything? Are you happy with that one? I think that's the main thing. I think it's, it's just having a support network. I, the only thing I'd change about it is not just ask everyone you know, but ask anyone that you don't know as well. Just email people who you think will know the answers to the questions that you have. You've been listening to Passion Pod number 70 with Doisy and Dan. Love that. It's all about people at the end of the day, isn't it, really? It really is. We rock. 
thanks so much to Doisy and Dan, Rich and Ed for having a chat with us this week. It's a complete joy. So keep your eyes peeled for those delicious delights as you tutor yourselves around London. Uh, if you like what you're listening to, by the way, don't forget you can subscribe to iTunes, which takes out all of the stress of like finding ones you like. Just go onto iTunes, type in Passion Pods, and then each week you'll get the new one without doing anything. It's definitely the way forward. By the way, something totally different. We're always up for a bit of feedback. So if you have anything that you want to like chuck our way, whether it's people we should be chatting to or things we should be doing differently, please let us know. Because otherwise, how are we going to know about these things? So if there's something that gets on your nerves, just please drop us a tweet at Passion Pods or an email or find us on our website, passionpods.co.uk. Um... One thing that has come up loads, actually, is the little swooshes that we use at either end of the podcast. Um, And we are currently in the middle of making a theme tune. I'm not sure if I can actually call it that. Uh, But some kind of jingly, music-y thing, uh, which is on its way, taking slightly longer than we'd hoped. But I promise you it is coming, so bear with us. Um, And you will, of course, be the first people to hear about that. And talking of reviews and stuff, by the way, if you fancy giving us on iTunes, we would love you forever. Uh, It really helps other people find us, which is only a good thing. Uh, So next week, as I said, bit of an apology to make that we've had a couple of foodie ones back to back. But fear you not, plenty in the pipeline of totally different sorts of bits and pieces. Uh, Next week, it's a first for Passion Pods. We are chatting to a children's book author. Uh, So really, really excited about that. A great story because she had loads of rejections before she managed to get published. Um, and she's now on her third book I think she's writing Uh, so really really excited about chatting to her next week so we'll see you then